parenting, it's the hardest job we'll ever do. Most of us are tired, stressed, and counting the minutes until bedtime. But what if raising kids could feel just a little lighter? I'm Dr. Hillary, a licensed psychologist and mama of three, and you're listening to the Raised Resilient Podcast, where each week we tackle tough parenting topics, and I help decode behavior and empower you with tools and strategies so that even the hardest moments make more sense. Because parenting is hard, no matter how you do it. But I can help you go from barely surviving to parenting in a way that feels good for you and your child. So warm up your coffee and grab your earbuds. It's time to raise resilient kids. Hello, and welcome back to Raised Resilient. I'm your host, Dr. Hillary, and I'm so glad you're here. I wanted to do an episode today about socialization for our kids and what that looks like through the ages. I actually get asked a lot by parents, at what age does my child need to have interactions with peers? And a lot of parents think that they're doing their child a disservice, even when that child is a toddler, for not arranging playdates or putting their child into a daycare or early childhood program with peers. This is something parents worried about a lot during the pandemic because these kids were home with their families and not getting any peer interaction. And so parents were very worried that social skills were not going to develop appropriately. So I thought it would be helpful to talk specifically about what kids at different ages need in terms of social interactions. And in order to do that, we really have to understand child development and where our kids are developmentally at each of these different ages and stages. But before I jump into that, I just wanted to remind you, I have an amazing free resource for you. It's called Six Mindset Shifts to Ditch the Overwhelm and Parent in a Way that Feels Good. And here's why you need this guide. In my experience, parenting is 75% perspective and 25% execution, which means that most of what is hard about parenting is influenced by what we believe about our kids, about their behavior, and about ourselves, especially in really challenging parenting moments. So for example, since we're talking about social development, let's say that your child is three and you take them to a play date with another child their age. They're playing together, they're having a great time, and then all of a sudden, the other child takes a toy out of your child's hands and your child hits the other child. If you believe that not sharing toys and hitting are bad behavior or signs of a bad kid, a problem child, you are going to be distraught as a parent in that moment. You're going to feel bad about your child. You're going to feel bad about yourself. And you're going to be way more likely to parent out of embarrassment to say something like, we don't hit. Let's go right now and take your child for a timeout. You're also going to feel out of control. You're not going to feel effective as a parent in that moment. You might feel a little bit helpless. And that's a really not fun way to feel as a parent. But if you understand that both the hitting and the difficulty sharing are so developmentally normal for children, especially at age three, you are going to be so much better able to respond effectively in that moment. You're going to feel confident. You're going to know that it's okay to help your child in that moment. And then you're not a bad parent because your child doesn't know how to handle those mad feelings. Your mindset as a parent changes the game. And then once you have the mindset to understand that these behaviors are normal 
and that your kid is a good kid all the time. And that sometimes your child is going to struggle because they're human, because they're learning, because their brain is literally still developing. And once you have the perspective to understand that, parenting shifts in a big way. You feel good about how you're parenting. Your child feels good being parented by you. So your mindset as a parent is an invaluable resource. And this guide is going to help you get your mindset in a place that's going to allow you to parent in a way that feels good. And here's the thing. It's totally free. RaisedResilient.com forward slash mindset. Download your copy today and watch how parenting starts to shift. Okay, so now let's talk about social development. So here's the first thing that I feel like it's really important to understand here. And that is that from zero to five, your child's most important relationship in terms of teaching social skills is the relationship they have with you, their primary attachment figure. That means that they actually are capable of getting all of their social needs met in that primary attachment relationship in those early years. Now, that doesn't mean that playdates with peers or group classes with peers or preschool settings or daycare settings are a bad thing, but they are not the primary source of your child's social learning at that age. You cannot underestimate the importance of your child learning how to interact with another human through their interactions with you. This is the prime source of social learning for our kids. Now, what these babies and toddlers and preschoolers in the pandemic lost out on was the opportunity to be out and about in the community with their primary attachment figures. So going out to the grocery store together or visiting the library or just being out in the community, you know, parents running out to grab a cup of coffee and bringing their child along, that's what these kids were missing because we were so isolated in our homes. And so these kids didn't get these day-to-day normal community interactions. They didn't get the opportunity to do mommy and me or parent-child classes, dance classes, gymnastics, music classes, any of those things, library story hour. All of these experiences include the primary attachment figure, but they are so helpful for kids because they are watching you interact socially and they are learning through their proximity to you to take risks and maybe try saying hi to that clerk at the store. And even then some kids are hesitant. My oldest was that kid who would hide behind me and kind of watch me interact, but was not ready to say hi on his own. And that is totally fine. But your child is still absorbing that social learning when they are with you out in the community. Now, that being said, your child's interactions with you, even at home, are so incredibly valuable in terms of social learning. Your child is learning through the attachment relationship how to interact with and treat other people. Your child is learning how to communicate. Your child is learning how to ask for what they want and what they need. And these are skills that are absolutely foundational to social interactions. So if you were to ask me, does my young child, zero to five, need playdates? Do they need preschool? Do they need daycare? I would say no. They do not need those things for social interactions. 
your child is completely capable of learning what they need to learn about social interactions simply by interacting with you and being out in the community with you. Now, this is not to say that preschool or daycare or playdates are a bad thing, not at all. But what your child really needs most are these high-quality interactions within the attachment relationship. Anything else above and beyond that is icing on the cake at this age. But if you are feeling pressured to put your child in a preschool program or a daycare program simply to get them socialization, you can let go of that worry. You are not doing your child a disservice by keeping them home with you. And on the flip side, if you are someone who needs to use a daycare program so that you can go to your job, that is also 100% okay and your child will be fine. You are still having so many high quality interactions with your child in the time that you're home together. But I hear a lot of parents worried about needing to send their child to some sort of organized preschool program, daycare program, and you really don't need to do those things. I do think that at least one year of preschool before going into kindergarten can be helpful. And that's just because it can be really helpful for kids to start to understand what it's like to be out of the home, what it's like to be in a school facility, to sit with their classmates, to follow a teacher's directions. So those things can be really helpful. And both of my kids who are school age so far have done one year of preschool at a Montessori preschool program prior to going into kindergarten. For my kids, that was absolutely enough. And we only did three days a week, half days for my oldest and full days for my middle kiddo, mostly just because of my work schedule at that point in time. So it was one year of preschool, not even full time, and they both transitioned into kindergarten beautifully. And again, if you need to or choose to send your child to more than that, that's 100% fine and it's 100% your choice. But your child doesn't need that just to develop social skills. Now, there are some kids who have needs above and beyond what typical social development would require. You know your child best. And so if you feel like your child in particular really benefits from a certain preschool program or organized structured program, then go for it. But from the standpoint of typical social development, young kids don't need that. The most important things you can do in these early years is allow space for your child's feelings which is going to start to build emotion regulation, to talk to your child, to narrate what is going on, to include your child in everyday activities like laundry, like cooking, to have meals together as a family, to provide a narrative for your child about what's happening around them so that they can start to make sense of basic everyday routines and interactions, to get out and about in the community with your child, take your child shopping, take your child out to the library, take your child to a mommy and me class. One of my favorite things that we have done with all three of my kids is something called Music Together, which is a music program specially designed to fit with how young children learn about music. And that's by being immersed in and participating in the making of music within a community setting. This is so powerful for your child, not only in terms of learning about music, but also learning language and learning about social interactions. Making music together as a group 
is one of the coolest things that we do as humans. And to include our kids in this is really beautiful. And so these classes are just parents sitting in a circle. There's a teacher leading the music. The kids are sitting on your lap and you're singing and getting silly and playing instruments and just having a great time. All three of my kids have absolutely loved this experience. And I have zero financial ties to music together. I just feel that it is such a beautiful program to participate in in those early childhood years. And in addition to music together, there are tons of other parent-child classes. They have them for almost everything, gymnastics, soccer, dance, art. And what's great about parent-child classes is that you get to participate in the class with your child, which creates a sort of scaffolding so that your child is there with you, their safe attachment figure, and then they feel safe to take some risks and actually participate in the class in a way that they might not if you weren't right there with them. And if a formal paid parent-child class is not in your budget, check out your local library. Lots of libraries have children's story hours, which are set up similar to paid parent-child classes. They have stories, songs, and you participate in the class together. And as a bonus, it's free. Now, in my opinion, babies and toddlers do not need playdates. If you want to have a play date, if maybe you want to get together with another parent friend who has a child similar age to your child, absolutely do that. But here's my caveat. Do not expect your young child, your baby, your toddler, even preschoolers to be able to navigate interactions with peers without your support. That is just not a developmentally appropriate expectation. They are going to need you to be nearby in order for them to be successful. And it's easy to forget that, even for me, and I know this, I'm three kids in, I should know better, but I think I mentioned on the podcast a couple episodes ago that we had a family over and they have a child my daughter's age. And so you have these two one and a half year olds playing together in our little yes space that's baby gated off. And I don't know what happened to lead up to this, but the next thing I know, my daughter is grabbing this poor girl by the cheek. And of course I felt so bad about what was happening, but the truth is if I had been a little bit more forward thinking, I should have been in there with her. She doesn't yet know how to handle her feelings and she doesn't yet know how to interact with peers. And so this is where that attachment relationship is scaffolding for these interactions. So you being close by and not reacting in a punitive or angry way when your child makes a social mistake But being there to help create a narrative like, oh, I see both of you want the same toy. That's so hard. Oh, I see you grabbing her cheeks. I'm going to help you stop. That's not safe. It hurts her. That kind of approach makes it safe for a child to learn to interact with peers. But what we usually do, because we're so horrified that our child is hurting another child or taking a toy out of their hands, we react in this angry, embarrassed way. We might say something like, stop it. That's not okay. We don't pinch. Let's go. I'm going to pick you up and take you out of this room. You can't be with your friend. Responding in that way makes it feel unsafe to learn how to be in social interactions. And so when you are allowing your child to have this one-on-one time with other kids, it's really important to supervise them. The younger they are, the more important this is. But even as your child becomes a preschooler, so that's ages three to five, your child is still going to need your 
help in social interactions. They are still going to have moments where they struggle. They are still going to have big feelings that they're not sure how to navigate. And so you being close by is helpful. Now, in terms of development, what's happening for our kids during these early childhood years? How are they understanding relationships? So when your child is born, babies truly believe, especially young babies, that they are literally one with their caregiver. They don't understand that you're separate people. And I remember feeling this really hard when my oldest turned one. I remember feeling like, oh my gosh, we've spent the first year in just this little bubble together. And now we're coming out of that. And it felt so beautiful and also sad, almost like a butterfly coming out of the cocoon. But what I was recognizing in real time was that my child was starting to individuate. And that individuation process happens slowly throughout toddlerhood. So toddlers are 12 to 36 months. So from your child's first birthday until their third birthday, they're considered a toddler. And throughout toddlerhood, your child is slowly starting to understand that like, hey, you and I were not the same person. I have my own wants, needs, desires, and opinions, and you have yours. We are separate people. And this is why during toddlerhood, we often see so much testing of limits. We see the I want to do it myself phase. We see them start to really become separate little people. And that's exactly what they're supposed to be doing developmentally at this stage. And then when children turn three, so from three to five, children are slowly starting to understand the concept of triangulation in relationships, meaning that your child from zero to one really believed they were fused with you. So from one to three, they are slowly starting to understand, okay, we're two separate people. At three, children start to begin to understand that like, oh, I have a relationship with mommy. I have a separate relationship with daddy and mommy and daddy have their own separate relationship. So whereas throughout toddlerhood, your child really sees themselves as the center of their universe and everyone else is just kind of here as part of their universe, right? It's my party. Everyone else is just invited. Our preschoolers are experiencing for the first time this awareness that, oh, actually there are all of these separate relationships, even just within my own family. And that's very interesting to kids. It's also foundational to social relationships. Think about it. If you don't understand that people have separate relationships with other people and you are not at the center of the universe, it can be really tough to develop healthy social relationships. So from three to five, our kids are really starting to understand and play around with this concept. And so at this age, we see the play start to shift. So when children are young, babies and toddlers, they mostly engage in something called parallel play. So you've got one child doing their thing over here with the trucks and another child playing right next to them over here, maybe with another truck, but they're not playing together. When kids enter this next phase of development, so from around age three to around age five, you start to see kids engaging in something called cooperative play, where they are actually playing together. 
This is also where we start to see pretend play emerge. So this is where we might see a child pretend to be a superhero or pick up a doll and make it talk to another doll. My youngest is almost two and she's still in that toddler phase where she's learning how things work and she's putting things together and she's taking them apart, which is exactly where she's supposed to be. And that is such a fun stage. And then it is also so fun and exciting to watch as they start to engage in pretend play and come up with these fun scenarios and work things out through play. Age three is around when that starts. And these are rough ages and stages. This might not be exactly where your child is at at this age. That's okay. Development exists on a spectrum, but this is a general guideline. Now, when children enter formal schooling in kindergarten, they're still age-wise considered to be preschoolers, but especially as kids get further into elementary school, so first grade, second grade, third grade, beyond, these kids are starting to have social relationships that actually have depth and that maybe have complex dynamics sometimes. You might find your elementary school coming home and talking about being left out on the playground. You might find them experimenting with being friends with different people. And what does that mean? How do I feel in this friendship versus this friendship? And that is so appropriate. And that's exactly when they are supposed to start experimenting with these things. This is fitting because around age seven is when Jean Piaget said kids entered what's called the concrete operational stage. This is when children are more capable of solving more complex problems. And this is where they can start to really benefit from social relationships, play dates, and organized activities like maybe team sports. Elementary age children might still struggle in moments in social interactions, but you're probably going to have to do less problem solving for them. So for example, my five-year-old had a play date a few weeks ago and they were doing great together. And then they reached a point where one kid wanted to play one thing and the other wanted to play something else. And I said, okay, so you have one idea and he has a different idea. I wonder how you might work this out. And that was all I needed to say. And my five-year-old and his six-year-old buddy were able to completely problem solve this on their own and work it out. My eight-year-old, when he has playdates, I don't even see them. They go off, they do their thing. They will come downstairs if they want a snack. So the older your child gets, the more capable they're going to be of solving these social problems on their own. But that doesn't mean that they won't sometimes come home saying, somebody said something that hurt my feelings. Or all of my friends are in a different class this year and I don't know what to do. Or I'm feeling left out. My old group of friends doesn't want to play with me anymore. These kinds of complex peer dynamics are really common for elementary age children and they get more and more common as your child grows. In these moments, just validate, be there for your child. Don't try to reassure or talk them out of it. Don't try to solve their problems. Remember, Your job is to allow space for the feelings and to let your child feel their feelings in your safe presence. So you might say something like, oh, that sounds really tough. Do you want to tell me more about it? Now, as your child becomes a preteen and eventually a teen, their social needs change a lot. At this age, children go from having friendships be a part of their lives and still getting their primary attachment needs met through you to having peer social relationships become the focus of their lives. And they begin to experiment with getting those attachment needs met 
through those relationships instead. Adolescence is sometimes referred to as the second separation. So if you remember, we talked about toddlerhood being a time of separation and individuation, children figuring out, hey, wait, you and I aren't the same person. Well, our teenagers are starting to figure out, hey, actually, I can get some of these attachment needs met in these other relationships. And so this is where we might see kids wanting to spend time with their peers over their family. We might see kids asserting that their friends understand them better than their family. We might see dating relationships emerge. We might see a child at home in their rooms with the door shut and the parent says, hey, do you want to come watch a movie with me? And the child's like, no, I just want to be alone. And then five minutes later, the phone rings. And the next thing the parent knows, the child is saying, mom, can I go to the movies with my friends? This can feel so off-putting to parents who feel like the teens are not prioritizing the family. And I think we go down that parenting rabbit hole. We start to worry, what does this mean? Doesn't my child love us anymore? Doesn't my child understand the importance of family? But that's not what's happening. Your child is very developmentally appropriately experimenting with getting some of these important attachment needs met in relationships outside of the parent-child relationship. This is necessary in order for your child to eventually separate and go out into the world, which is hard as it is for us as parents. It's what we all want our kids to do. So if your teen is constantly on the phone, texting with, talking with their friends, just know that this is so developmentally appropriate. I remember my mom saying when I was a teenager that I had the phone growing out of my ear and I did. I would talk for hours on the phone with my girlfriends and that was just what I needed at the time. It does not mean that your teen doesn't need you anymore. They absolutely still need you, but they need to be able to come to you when they need you. And they need for you to do a whole lot more listening and holding space for feelings than they do problem solving and telling them what to do, which is exactly what our younger kids need too. It just looks a little different because our younger kids are hungry for that connection and our teens are also needing that connection with us, but it looks a little different. And in moments, they need to be able to reject us, to shut the bedroom door and say, I need some space. Because again, they are grappling with the really complex developmental task of separating from us and starting to carve out their place in the world. That's really scary. And our teens need our support and our cheering on of their emerging independence instead of shaming them for it. You never want to spend time with us. Why are you always with your friends? If we recognize that this is normal and healthy behavior, we can so much better support it. So there is your overview of social development through the ages. And I hope this very bird's eye view gives you a sense of what your child really needs from you when it comes to supporting their social development. Because I think a lot of times it's not what we think it is as parents. As always, if you have further questions or you want me to talk more about something specific in this episode, reach out drhillary at raisedresilient.com. And until next time, thanks for listening. We've got this. I so appreciate you listening and being here. It really means the world to me. And if you are enjoying this podcast, leave a review and share with someone who could use this message. I really and truly believe that this is how we change the world. We spread the word about raising resilient kids, about being cycle breakers. So share this podcast, leave a review, and let's spread the word about raising resilient kids. Until next time, we've got this.